0: All week I'm going to be talking to you about the great secrets of God, the mysteries of God, yes, the Mysterion, that which was hidden in the heart of God down through the ages has now been made plain to all of us. Those who are followers of Jesus Christ can know the great mysteries of God those whom the Spirit of God has come to live in our hearts, God has said that we can know His heart and know His mind through the Scriptures. And He has revealed to us several mysteries, things that no one knew, not even the angels of heaven, as we will see in the sacred Scriptures. Let's look at 1 Timothy chapter three. At the first mystery we're going to deal with called by the Apostle Paul, the mystery of godliness. It is the mystery concerning the incarnation of Jesus. That is, that he would be virgin born, that he would have an earthly mother, that God would be his father, that God himself would walk among us that he would be justified in the spirit, seen by angels, that is, witnessed, observed by angels, and preached among the Gentiles something that during the days when Jesus came would have been unthinkable, believed on in the world, received up into glory. 1 Timothy chapter 3 and verse 14. Paul said to his young son in the ministry, Timothy, after he had spoken to him about setting aside elders and deacons for the work in the church of the Lord Jesus, the local assemblies. He said, these things I write unto you, though I hope to come to you shortly, but if I am delayed, I write so that you may know how you ought to conduct yourself in the house of God. Now, he's talking about the local assembly. Contextually, you cannot make it mean anything other than that. He said, which is the church of the living God. Again, last week I pointed out over and over again that where it's really happening in the New Testament is not the spiritual body of Christ, but the literal physical body of Christ that we operate in, that we see the gifts enacted and employed in, that we see the offices operating, the office of elders and the office of deacons. And so he says that this church is the pillar and ground of the truth. And without controversy, great is the musterion of godliness, the musterion of Eusebia. It is that mystery that has to do with piety, with a godly life, with God doing something that only God can do. On this earth. And so here he delineates what it is in verse 16 of 1 Timothy chapter 3. God was manifest in the flesh. Now, all six verbs that are used are the same tense, voice, mood, or mode, person, and number. They are aorist tense. They are indicative mode. That is the mode of reality, not something that is subjunctive, not something that could be, not something that has a possibility of being, but it's indicative. It is reality. And so there are six verbs that are used in 1 Timothy chapter 3 and verse 16 to describe this mystery of godliness, manifested, justified, seen preached, believed, E.D., on all of these, and finally received, manifested, justified, seen, preached, believed, received, all simple past tense, that is the aorist tense, at a point in time. It's snapshot. It doesn't have to do so much with time as it does with the kind of action. That's what tense is primarily concerned with in the Greek grammar. That is the kind of action. It's something that is a snapshot, whereas present tense is linear and moving, whether that's iterative or whether it is continuous action. This is a snapshot. It's a point in time, and there's various shades and nuances of that, but this is the great mystery of godliness. And By the way, all of these are passive voice. Now, the normal voice in all of the Greek language is active. That is, the speaker is the one doing the active. Middle voice is reflexive in the Koine Greek. That means he himself, she herself, whatever the case may be. But here it is passive, the subjects being acted upon. And so God brought all of this about. God the Father, the great God of the universe brought all of this about. And it was a musterion as to how it would happen. Now I want to point out two, three passages that will be passages that will help you to understand and will expound this principle to you more. Turn to 1 Peter when you get an opportunity and mark in your Bibles 1 Peter chapter 1. Now, Those of you who have studied this know that if you take second or third year Greek and you are into exegetical study and diagramming and so forth, you're going to go to first Peter and probably study first Peter chapter one because there's more participles there than you can shake a stick at. And if you in the Greek language can handle participles, you can handle just about anything in the language itself as far as structure and analysis. And so Peter is talking about the great blessings of God that God has blessed us with, a living, abundant relationship with Jesus. And he comes to verse 10, and he starts off on a path that is remarkable. Here's what he says. He's talking about salvation, the salvation that has been given to us and made possible through the substitutionary death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus. And here's what he said. Of this salvation, the prophets, Remember, we're talking about the musterion, the secrets of God, and we're talking about this secret of godliness, this mystery of godliness that was hidden in the heart of God as to how he would bring about this salvation. That it would be through the virgin birth, the sinless life, the substitutionary death, and the bodily resurrection of Jesus. And so he said of this salvation, the prophets have inquired and searched carefully who prophesied of the grace that would come to you, to me, in this era, in this epoch, in this dispensation, in this time period in which we're living in these days of the new covenant. And these prophets would search what or what manner of time the Spirit of Messiah who was in them was indicating when he testified beforehand of the sufferings of Christ, i.e., Isaiah 53 and the great passage of the suffering one of Yahweh himself, of the very God of God himself, that he would suffer and the glory glories that would follow. when, For instance, when Isaiah, from chapter 40 on especially, and the passages like in Isaiah chapter 11, Isaiah chapter 9, those great passages we read about at Christmas time, and then read Isaiah 53, one presents one picture, another another. The suffering of the faithful servant of God, the Messiah that would be bruised for our iniquities, the chastisement of our peace would be a on him by his stripes, we would be healed. Isaiah would speak about that. And then he would talk about the Messiah reigning and ruling over all the earth with a rod of iron, ushering in a great time of peace and worldwide blessing. And the Bible says that Isaiah could not understand this musterion. And it says that the Messiah... And the Spirit of Messiah was in them, was indicating when he testified beforehand the sufferings of Christ and the glories that would follow. To them it was revealed that not to themselves that they were going to be able to experience this, but to us they were ministering these things. They knew that this was a time in the future. They didn't understand how it was all going to be happening. They didn't understand how it was all going to come to pass, how that God would provide this great salvation, through the suffering of his faithful Messiah, and then he would reign in glory. They just couldn't get it. But they realized that they were giving prophecies of something that God was going to do in the future, and how he would do it would be a musterion. And he said, which now these things have been reported to you through those who have preached the good news, the euangelion, the good message, And it says, preached to you by the Holy Spirit sent down from heaven. And then it has a hyphen. Listen to this. And it says, not only did the prophets not understand, and they were saying, God, how could this be? They were inquiring of God. How can you tell me to prophesy this of suffering and then of glory? But it says, not only did they inquire, but look what it says in verse 12, Things which the Angeloid, the angels, desired to look into. You see, even the angels of God couldn't understand how God was going to do it. You see, angels are created beings just in a different order than mankind. But they're created. They're not God. They're not divine beings. And when they would hear of what these prophets would say and they would see it being written down. Remember, they were watching all of this. They were observing and they would see what God would say. They couldn't understand it themselves. And so it is only in the New Testament that we are given the answer to this, and here it is. This is the great mystery of the incarnation, the mystery of godliness, that which was hidden in the heart of God but is now made plain, John 1.1. 1, 1. It is absolutely fascinating how John puts it all together under inspiration He lays it out so that everyone can see exactly how he did it. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. And then he goes on to talk about the creative acts of this Word. Now, the Greeks looked at the logos, that's the word for word, as an impersonal, abstract principle of reason and order. It was, in some sense, they looked upon as a creative force. But in the Jewish mind, the Word of God was the expression of divine power and wisdom. It concerned the revelation of the mind and will of God Himself. The greatest expression of this was creation up to this point. Because God, who knew everything, who is all-powerful, all-knowing, is everywhere at the same time, And all of the other attributes that are concerning, he is the creator. And so the Bible says that this word, whoever this is, is indeed God himself. And he goes on to say in verses two, three, and four and five, that indeed this word, whoever it is, is the creator. He is the one that created everything. And there was nothing that was created that he did not create. And he was the source of all light. John says this not only in his gospel here, but also in the book of 1 John. He goes on to say that he created the world and the world, the creation that he made and the people that he chose for himself, he came into his own and his own received him not. But as many as received him to them, gave he the right the privilege, the prerogative, the power, the authority to become his own born ones, the children of God. This is not the word "weos" for son. It's the word technia. It's the word for children, the born ones of God. And that is indeed what the Lord Jesus told in just two chapters over in chapter three of John Nicodemus. You must be born from above. You must have a spiritual birth. But here's what he said. This word, whoever it is, was God. He was with God and he was God. He was the creative God. And then he says in verse 14, and this word became flesh. And he dwelt, he tabernacled among us, and we beheld his glory, the glory of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. You see, this God, who is this great abstract thought to the Greeks, this great creative force to the Greeks, this logos, who is the word of God, the expression of divine power and wisdom, the very revelation of God himself, the creative God, the one who created everything, the Bible says this God who is. Spirit robed himself in human flesh and he came and lived and dwelt among us. Now look at this. The scripture says he is the only begotten of the father and he is full of grace and truth, only begotten. That phrase repeats itself over and over again in the book of John. What does it mean? It is a compound word in the Greek text, mono, which means one as in only Genes, G-E-N-E-S. S, G-n-a-s. If we pronounce that with a soft G, it would be genese, Gene, G E N E. Gene, a one-of-a-kind gene. If something is one-of-a-kind, it is unique. Now, unique cannot be a modifier because, and does not need a modifier because it is absolute. If something is unique, it's one-of-a-kind. It's not very one-of-a-kind. It's not awesomely one-of-a-kind. It is one-of-a-kind. It needs no modifier. And so what it says is this Word, who is God, became flesh, this great spirit, it became flesh and that's exactly what Jesus said in John chapter 4 that God is spirit and he told Nicodemus that God is spirit and that the spirit of God cannot be looked upon. Why? Because he said you cannot see spirit you can see the results of the spirit you can see where the wind comes and blows and rustles the leaves but you cannot see the wind. You can see the dust that hangs in the wind but you can't see the wind. The word is pneuma and so he said is that this only begotten, this one-of-a-kind person, this one-of-a-kind son has come to earth to dwell among us. Now, think about this. Jesus is truly unique. He is one of a kind. He's the only one who has God as his father and has an earthly mother. You say, what about Adam? Well, he had God as his father, but he also was created uniquely by God, and he is one of a kind. Jesus is the second Adam, according to the Apostle Paul, and he has an earthly father, and that father, according to Romans chapter 5 and verse 12, is where the sin nature is passed on, not through the mother, but through the father. So Jesus Had no sin nature. He was impeccable. He is the only person who ever was born besides Adam that was born without a sin nature. He did not have a propensity to sin, an inclination to sin. He had the very gene and essence of God within himself because he was fully God. But yet he was robed in human flesh. He became a true man because he had an earthly mother. And that doesn't mean he's half God and half man. That means He's all God and all man. He is the unique Son of God, the one-of-a-kind Son. He is the only Gene Son. He's the only one that was born like He was born. He's the only one that would live like He lived. He's the only one that did what He did. He's the only one that died like He did. He's the only one that was buried like He was buried and rose again from the dead, never to die again. The Bible says that He is the first fruits among the dead. Now hold on, and we'll finish this musterion very quickly quickly. The scripture says, it goes on in verse 15, 16, and 17 to talk about Jesus, and then in verse 18, here's what John said. Now, this word that became flesh, this only begotten, this one of a kind, this only gene son, no one has seen God at any time. Now, what that means is God is spirit, and you cannot see spirit, and no one has seen God in his essence. Moses, Abraham, and many more saw God and an image of God, what's called a theophany, a Christophany, ever how you want to word that, but it was a manifestation of God. But no man has seen God at any time. But look at this, the only begotten son, this one of a kind son who is in the bosom of the father, he has declared him. Now the word declare is the Greek word exegete. The word exegesis means explanation. You see, Jesus came to explain to us what God is like. That's the great mystery of the incarnation. This is the mystery of godliness that Jesus Christ is the Son of God. That means He is the Messiah. He is God walking, God talking, God healing, God casting out demons, God raising the dead, God dying on the cross as the God-man to take away our sins as a burnt offering, as an offering for sin, to take away the penalty of man's sins. And God forever put His seal of approval on what He did. And the Apostle Paul said, In the book of Romans, his great magnum opus that has to do with salvation, here's what he said in that great volume, that Jesus Christ is declared to be the Son of God by the resurrection from the dead. That's the great mystery of godliness. And so our first mystery that we're covering this week is the mystery of godliness, and it is Jesus Christ manifest, the Son of God, the Messiah of Israel, and the Savior of the world. And you can know him in a personal way. You can walk with him because he came that you might have life. Call upon the name of the Lord if you do not know him. He will forgive you. He'll save you. He'll set you free from the bondage of your sin. And if you're a child of God, don't you think it's about time we trusted him? For On the Way, this is Tony Crisp. Thanks for listening to On the Way with Tony Crisp.